Get up. Get, get up. Get up. What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode number 166. And finally, we get to talk about pitchers and catchers arriving. Spring training is here, and we are ready to go. I'm so excited that baseball is back. I'm sure James is so excited that baseball is back. Before we do get going into it, you guys know what you need to do. Make sure you are following us everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, at Mets Up. If you're looking for the YouTube video of this, Go to the New York Mets YouTube channel. Go subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review. James, it's your birthday yesterday on Valentine's Day. So uh, I saw you. I don't need to say happy birthday again, but happy birthday from the listeners, I'm sure, as well. How you feeling? Not good. I don't think you feel that good either. We had, we had a little too much fun on my birthday, but it was still it was still a wonderful celebration nonetheless. And the best part about my birthday every single year is that it always coincides with pitchers and catchers reporting to Port St. Lucie for the Mets and all the other camps in general. We only care about the Mets, though. And it's a beautiful time of year. I'm sure you guys just listened to our interview with Buck Showalter that came out last Friday or Saturday. If not, you should go back and listen to that now. 15 great minutes with the manager. And listening to the literally the manager of the Mets talk about how positive spring training is for everybody. And you're like, oh, I do feel good about spring training. Like Everything's the best case scenario. Everything's the best way it could be. Everything's clean, fresh, new. It's an exciting time. No, it's super exciting, and we're starting to see the guys roll in. Obviously, the pitchers and catchers have reported, but we're seeing Pete Alonso's at camp. We're seeing Brandon Nimmo is there. Just seeing the videos of guys having a catch, swinging bats, throwing baseballs around. It gets it gets the baseball juices flowing, and especially on a day in New York where today was, what, like 65 degrees and sunny outside, it, it felt like spring. It felt like spring is close. We've had a pretty decent winter thus far, I would think we would say, and to have this great weather on top of baseball pretty much officially starting, especially now with – the Super Bowl and football being over, it's just it's it's feeling really, really good. And I'm getting ready for baseball. I, I can't wait for games to start. Games are about what two weeks away now at this point. And yeah, spring training, I think, starts the games like the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth, right? Yeah, the Mets the Mets also we talked about this a little bit last week, just have so many interesting positional battles that we're gonna have to see play out in those games. Like John mentioned last time, like the sixth, seventh, eighth inning of these inter squad games, even there's gonna be pitchers, relief pitchers especially, fighting for jobs. And it's gonna be really it's, I don't think we've had situations in the past with the Mets where like, but it wasn't like a prospect because the prospects are going to have a lot in their play too. see how they can play both Vientos, Alvarez, Brett Beatty. But just seeing the way these pitching battles are going to line up, it's kind of a cool new thing that we're going to see as Mets fans with this mega deep bullpen we've built. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to watch Steven Ridings throw 100 with that wipeout slider. Like these are the things that we live for as Mets fans. These are things that we live for, especially on this podcast, because we love we love bullpen depth. There's nothing that gets us going like some deep bullpen talk here. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. And we've also started to see some new stuff, too, in terms of baseball with rules and all that. We talked with Buck about the pitch clock. We talked with him about the shift. But there was a new rule that was put into place officially. The players and I don't know if coaches but I think it's just the players or whatever that joint committee is voted unanimously on the ghost runner staying in during the regular season. So every single extra inning, there will be a ghost runner that starts on second base. Like we have seen in previous years. What do you think about it? Cause I mean, I like it. I think it's a good idea. Like push comes to shove. I do like the rule overall. I think it is good for the game of baseball. It's good for the players. It's good for the product. It's good for the entertainment value. And when you have all of those things together, I think there's no reason not to have this rule. There's been a lot of data, especially over the last 10 years, that just the quality of baseball in extra innings gets worse, especially in a regular season game. Hitters swinging more pitches outside of the strike zone. Pitchers just have less stuff. The pitches are not as good. It's just it's not, it wasn't really great quality baseball when you got to the 11th, 12th, 13th inning of a game. And you get, it sometimes it gets very hard for the team to score runs, especially think about the run environment that we had in baseball last year. So having that ghost run rule, one, this is something you've said a lot that I kind of like, 
immediately it makes you want to watch something because it's like it's a hot high pressure situation right away and then two it just gets it gets the game over with like we just played to a draw for nine innings these teams are pretty even so we have to really like drag this out into deep into the night we have to let guys throw their arms out who might even just get option the next day because they had to throw so many innings in that game right there and the ghost run doesn't affect guys eras so it's not going to affect them in arbitration I, I don't really, I don't, I don't see any reason not to have this rule. And again, it helps the product because it gets these games over quicker and it makes them more exciting. And it helps the players because they don't have to throw all these extra innings and play it all late into the night and ruin the next day of baseball. Yeah, and I particularly like to that it's for the playoffs, it doesn't exist. Playoffs, you just go regular extra innings baseball. And I completely agree. I think that's the right way to handle this. During the regular season, I, I think of 2019, that game in San Francisco that went forever, that went, what, 15, 16 innings. And Chris Mazza yeah. came in late in the game. And it's like, yeah, those games are, like, fun to talk about. Obviously, the Mets have played in some crazy extra inning games in their history. But the reality of the situation is, like, those games are, like, better stories than they actually are product, like you said. There were actually three of those in 2019. There was that one out in San Francisco that ended at, like, like 3.30 in the morning, which was insane yeah. for people on the East Coast. And then there was also the one at home against Cleveland that was around August, I believe. And then even a few weeks after that, if you remember, there was a game against the Braves at home on a Friday night. That it went to oh, yes. one one. Jacob Degrom gave up home run, hit a home run, and the Mets couldn't do anything else offensively besides that. And I was remember this because I was at that game, and I had yeah. the choice where I like and we every, everyone who commutes to City Field from either New Jersey or Long Island know this feeling well, where you're like, I'm going to miss the last train. Like I have to decide right now: am I going to miss the end of the game or am I going to miss that train? And I decided to stay for the game. Mets lost, missed the train, and wound up sleeping on just a friend's a friend's couch down the East Village. So those situations, while like they're fun and they're old school and it's baseball, yada yada, it's just. The, these these aren't things that are really good for the game to keep these games going deep into the night and like let these guys keep playing with poor quality baseball. That Mets Braves game was that when Juan Lagares could have tagged on a fly ball and they held him in I, in extras. I think it would have won. If I would answer you confidently, I would be lying. I don't know. I don't recall okay. at all. I, I think it was. I think I was watching that game at our former roommate Alex's house. I was watching it. I think my Greek cousins were in town as well. Just a very very weird recollection. That was also. I think around the time too, Degrom gave up the the two home runs of Victor Caratini right against the Cubs. That was that was like similarish timing. Week or two later, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, we want yeah, to talk that, more that, about that. That's, that's, that's not going back down 2019 rabbit hole where the Mets would have won the World Series if they would have had the playoff rules installed earlier. But we, I digress. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think about that that much. Me and Mark didn't talk about that uh, last night at no. one o'clock in the morning at the bar. We definitely didn't talk about that at all. <laughs> no, not at all. We were we were very focused on you know other things, but. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, Ghost Runner is the right move. And I don't know. I'm interested to see what you guys, too, uh, think as listeners and viewers of the podcast. Like, tweet at us. What do you think about the Ghost Runner rule? Do you like it? Do you hate it? I feel like it's probably more split than what we are. I think probably people don't like it more. I, yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think most people do not like it. I think people think it yeah. kind of like is like kind of a joke. It's like jokey, like a mockery of the game. But then if you look at most of the sports, like every professional sport besides basketball, like drastically changes their rules for overtime. Yeah. Hockey, they take two players off the ice and play three on three. And then they do it for five minutes and they have a shootout. Like that'd be like if we yeah. played with six defenders and had home run derby. Like that's insane yeah. to think about for like a sport that's like very purist based. And then football, we, we've had the, some of the stupidest overtime rules ever. College used to be the best overtime ever. And now they just do two point conversions back and forth, which is after two yeah. overtimes, which is really dumb. And the NFL used to just be like, you can kick a field goal and win for no reason. That's that sucks. Those are bad rules. Like at least this is like we're keeping the game like as it is. Like we're not in changing the gameplay in any way. Like the three on three in hockey, and both teams have a legitimate chance to do it. And I think that's kind of the best way to play it. But I do think a lot of people don't like it just because you know, change is different. It's kind of weird. 
No, people don't like change. And I know there's something that you don't like, too, that's been going on with change in Major League Baseball. And that has to do with the schedule. We've been looking at the schedule because, you know, we, we're trying to make some trips. We're trying to go places. We're seeing who we're playing, if, when, where. And there's some, some really interesting stuff that you found that's kind of crazy about the Mets schedule this year. Um infuriated by the schedule by the way the schedule has changed over the last few years and the Mets schedule itself this year it makes me so so mad on a regular basis I like my blood boils the Mets just a little couple quirks we have for you guys are they ready the Mets play the Marlins seven times in the first 10 games the Mets do not play the Marlins again for five months after that <laughs> the Mets are going the entire summer May June July and I think all of August but it might be only be toward the end of August we're getting September I'm gonna double check my work right now Without playing the Marlins. Yeah, so the Mets, play, the Mets play the Marlins twice in the first seven times the first 10 games. And the next time they play the Marlins is September 18th. Yeah, it's insane. That's it's insane. So the, the Mets do not play the Marlins between the NFL draft and week one of the NFL season. <laughs> and then, and then top, you have the Phillies one too, right? Yes, the Mets. The Mets play the Phillies also two series early in the year. I think one's in April and one's in May. And then they do not play the Phillies again until September 21st. So the Mets oh, do not nuts. do not play against the Marlins or Phillies for months, and then they end their season, Marlins, Phillies, Marlins, Phillies. So as Mets fans, we're going to have only one three-game series against the Phillies at home before the last weekend of the entire season. Which, that's, as, I feel like, the best way to explain the schedule. Like, when you, because I, I still am in favor of the idea of the schedule. I don't necessarily think the execution was good, but I still like that you play every single team. I think it should be more like that. But when you talk about like the one series thing or the fact that we only get, what, two home series against the Phillies and Braves and yep. stuff like that, that kind of stinks. That definitely stinks. Yep. And one of those home series against the Phillies is May 30th, 31st, June 1st. And the next one is September 29th to October 1st. Crazy. That's so long. you are looking at different teams. July and August, the Mets do not play the Philadelphia Phillies. In July and August, the second half of a schedule, two teams who are going to be fighting tooth and nail all season for a division along with the Braves. They are not going to play each other. After June first until the last week of September. Yeah, that was getting your. That was another thing we definitely weren't talking about at the bar last night. Getting your it's blood enraging because these. This is what we, this is what we want to see. This is what we want to go to. Like I would so much rather see a series at home against the Phillies than against the Guardians or the Royals or the Tigers or the Mariners. Like I, I understand the novelty is cool. Like we had to see players we haven't seen. Like most Mets fans probably haven't seen Bobby Wood Jr. play live. Most Mets fans haven't seen Vlad Guerrero Jr. play live. I just weird. I just went two guys who are juniors right off the bat. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> That's bizarre. But I'm just looking at the schedule right now. And those are the two teams that came to mind. But we're not going to get to see the Phillies that often. That's why I don't like this schedule. I know this is the way baseball is going. I know the NBA did this and became a very successful thing for them in terms of growing the game nationally. But I want to play the rivals. We're, we're losing these rivalries now in a year that this should be like the most intense series of our entire season. And we're getting kind of taken away from us. Maybe it's also a little bit of a, a nice thing for the Mets because we don't get to play our division as much, and our division is probably, at, at, at the top at least, one of the best divisions in baseball with the Braves and the Phillies. So maybe playing them less and getting to play, like you said, the Royals and the Tigers might maybe do us a little bit of good too, though. For sure, but it's fun. It's fun to play these teams. It's Last year, like it was so much fun to go to those Braves and Phillies series at home. Like, but you know, again, that was when the season, yeah, season was going great. But it was, it was incredible. Like you can just feel a different energy, different, different atmosphere. Like these two teams do not like each other. Like you can hear Spencer Strider like cry and like feel really good about it. And we're gonna have less opportunities to do that this year, and it's really sad. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting though too, because Buck was saying that he's excited to play some of the other teams too, and not just play like you know seventy nine games against the National League East, which. I, I get it. I do actually think from like a performance 
standpoint, it's better for the Mets to play less against the Braves and Phillies. Not because we can't beat them. They're just simply better teams. And if we can play more, again, of those Tigers and Royals and whatever is going to be the worst team, uh, the A's, love playing the A's. That's that's a good thing, I think, for the Mets record. But relatively speaking, yeah, it does take away the rivalries. And like that Nick Plummer game last year when the, the Mets essentially got Joe Girardi fired and saved the Phillies season, unfortunately. Changed the direction that of was fran- like, franchise. That was one of the best games of the year. It was awesome to be there. It, it also, I do see exactly what Buck is saying, though, because I'm sure from a managerial perspective, it probably gets a little bit repetitive when you play these other teams so often. And last year, how quickly the Mets played the Phillies. The Mets played the Phillies. Remember, we talked about this literally a year ago on this podcast. Exact same conversation. Me getting mad about it. The Mets played the Phillies like it was like 11 or 13 times before the end of May. So like you do that a lot. You're like, it's exhausting. I understand that. Last year, yeah. the Mets played a five-game series against the Braves and immediately went to Atlanta for like four more. Like we had two weeks and played the Braves like 10 times. So I do understand from a managerial perspective, it adds a new set of challenges. Like we get to prepare for different teams. We get to see different pitchers. We get to we get to like change up the flavor a little bit more. We're not only traveling to the exact same cities. So I get that. But from the fans' perspective, I want to go to as many games against the Phillies and Braves as possible. Like that's kind of the most fun part yeah. of the season. And we're just going to have less opportunity no. to do that. So we're going to have to get there when we do. All right. Well, I feel like this then leads into the next thing too. It's a little bit older, but we never really got a chance to talk about it was Jim Bowden's proposed realignment. Now, of course, this is not like official. Nothing's necessarily truthful behind this. It was just more of a conversation piece, but MLB is going to expand at some point, probably add two more teams to the league. And it kind of makes the divisions a little bit weird. And the conversation always comes up for realignment whenever you start to get the expansion of a league. And his was pretty interesting. You saw it, right, James? Of course, everyone saw that was this one screenshot went mega viral. It was last week. We were just we were we were in a content zone last week. We didn't have time to talk about this kind of funky stuff. So if you guys haven't seen it, essentially in his new proposed realignment, the Mets would be in the East still. I don't think it's in the Eastern Conference and they'd be in the Eastern Division with the Red Sox, Yankees and Phillies, which that just sounds like absolute hell. I mean, that doesn't seem like a completely balanced division at all. I, I would be, if you, you guys think I'm mad like now about the schedule and stuff, I would be so mad if that became a James episode. Yes. <laughs> if there, if there's like nine teams in all of major league baseball, they're trying and the Mets have to be in division with three of them. Like that would be so enraging. That was just what through probably three of the three of the three of the top eight payrolls when the Red Sox are actually like trying stuff. That would be so awful. Then you look at like, I think the Pacific division, it was a, something like the Mariners, the Giants, the A's. And I think and the Rockies. Rockies. Like, uh, could you imagine that division? How much fun that would be the play in? I got two for you. I got every other division, by the way, and whatever is considered the Eastern Conference in this is insane. You would love to be there. Ready? So you've got the North, which is the Reds, Guardians, Tigers, and Blue Jays. Would love oh to my, be a part of that one. Oh my God. <laughs> would love to be the Blue Jays in that scenario. Then you have the Mid Atlantic, who is the Nationals, Pirates, Orioles, and the expansion team of Charlotte. So would love to be in that division. That would be sick. And then the Southeast, of course, the Braves get a gift here if this is how it works. The Braves, Marlins, the expansion team, and the Rays as well. And they broke up the Dodgers and Giants too, which is insane. And also, what we're talking about, this isn't real. This is just Jim Bowden writing yeah, a, piece, a piece of content yeah. for The Athletic, trying to get people like us to take the bait Great and complain content. about this. Great content. But I think I think if this were to happen, like MLB should pro- like propose a system that actually was used very prevalently in Athens, Greece, like way back in ancient times. At, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so you no, know, this is a big one. So when Athens was 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 coming up as a nation, they had thirty provinces that were all split up, and they all convened for one government. Ten of the provinces were inner city, ten of them were in the country, and ten of them were coastal or island. To create one city, like one province, to go to the government, you had to have one of each. So you had three parts of every province: one inner city, one country, and one coastal or island. 
and you had to come together, put your differences aside, and then you guys would send your own representative there. That is what I would want to happen for this new, new divisional realignment. I want one team from the East, one team from the Midwest, one team from the West, and then one team from the West Coast. I want my division to be the Mets, <laughs> Mets, Reds, Rockies, A's. I think yes, in my, be a great in my division. opinion, I think that's the most perfect division that we could create in Major League Baseball. We're pulling it from ancient Greece. We pull a lot of our governmental stuff from ancient Greece. There are a lot of smart guys back there. I do think that if we were to do that, I would Those like to. People. Yeah, I would like to go to Rob Manfred directly and start proposing these divisions. I think another fair one would probably be like something like Yankees, Braves, Astros, Dodgers. I think makes sense, right? That's a good division. That's a yeah, good that, one. that that one sounds fair. I have yeah, no yeah. problems with that division at yeah. all. Then maybe something like Phillies, Cardinals. Mariners, who's another good team? Throw the Blue Jays in there, sure. Yeah, Blue Jays. I think, they, those, I think those are three divisions that we can start out with, and we could go from there. But that's, I think, the launching point yeah. for the future of Major League Baseball divisions and realignment. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited because it feels like expansion is coming soon, especially with all that Nashville stuff that's going on uh, with you know making their team essentially and getting ready. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I don't know. Baseball, I don't feel like it necessarily needs expansion right now. Like I think the competition's pretty awesome, but... In the same regard, it's going to happen at some point. There's too much money to not expand and make more markets and make more teams. There's also a huge, huge gap of Major League Baseball representation in the southeast of the country where the majority of Major League Baseball players come from, which is crazy. Yeah, there's only one team there, and it's basically just it's just the Braves. And there's also some so many great baseball cities down there that could that could have a team. Charlotte was one of the proposed teams. Nashville was one of the proposed teams. I know Vancouver yeah. City has also been trying to get something. Vancouver hasn't had a professional sports franchise in like almost 30 years now since the Grizzlies left. It'd be cool. I think it'd be very cool to expand in general. I think it'd be it'd be fun to the game to get some new cities and new fans. It'd be fun for us to travel to see some new stadiums and stuff like that. But yeah. if when they when they realign these divisions and they make us only play the Yankees, the Phillies, and the Red Sox, I'm gonna throw a hissy fit. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Again, this is all hypothetical. None of this is necessarily true. It's Jim Bowden just making content, but we shall see. Uh, we have not talked to you guys on Twitter in a while, so I asked you guys for some viewer questions because. There's baseball to be talked about. There hasn't necessarily been any news, per se, which I think is also a good thing in Mets world that there hasn't been any news right now. But we want to hear what you guys are wondering about. Maybe we can give you some insight on some questions. John's getting mad because James forgot to mention Vancouver is a, uh, has a team in the Canucks because, of course, hockey. Yeah, I mean, hockey Canada, that makes sense. Like, that's a wash. I'm talking about American sports here. <laughs> so let's go ahead and take a look at some of these questions. I'm going to go with the first one which comes from a dedicated viewer. That would be uh, Bella, who is a dedicated viewer. How would you guys split up the bullpen into different classes, including the depth pieces that we have? Because we always talk about A team, B team, C team, whatever it is, that there seems to be like a, a bit of a hierarchy in the bullpen for the Mets. So I'm going to divert this one to you, James, since you're the, the pitching whisperer. Yeah, think about this now. It's almost like Edwin just kind of is, the, is like he is the A team. I guess the other guys who are going to be in that A team are probably... I mean, Adavio and Robertson are like the supposed setup men right now, and then Brooks Raley is the top lefty, so I think that becomes mm-hmm. something of the A team. And then the B team is... I mean, but this is the crazy thing about the Mets bullpen right now, and one of the cool things we're going to be able to watch during spring training is that this B team hasn't really came come into shape at all. And there's so many different guys who can kind of be on that second, second tier of the Mets bullpen. Like, Drew Smith is a guy who I think is certainly going to be in the mix there and kind of be going to be like basically like the captain of the B team. Kind of like kind of like my athletic career. Like that's gonna be that's gonna be the way he is. <laughs> and then we're gonna just see like John Curtis is a guy who really to me lines up like someone who that is a role it's like kind of tailor made for him. He hasn't pitched in like a year and a half now, but when he was good, he was a guy who could very much like be a high like not a high leverage reliever, a good medium leverage reliever and get outs when he can. Also, I'm looking at roster resource right now. Drew Smith and John Curtis the same age. That's shocking to me that Drew Smith's really? gonna be 30. Drew Chain's gonna be 30 years old this year. 
Drew Chains is 30? He's 29 still. I'm not going to rush it for him. But yeah. What? Isn't that nuts? Man, I feel old. Yeah. And then, <laughs> otherwise, the guys were going to be in that bullpen. Like, we're going to see the Rule 5 pick from the Yankees, Zach Green, break camp. Because per Rule 5 rules, he has to be in the Major League roster this year or we're going to lose him. So, if he is good enough, he will be in that B team. And then I think there's going to be a combination of Jeff Brigham, my boy, where if he is healthy and he gets the velocity back, he's a guy who I think could very, very, very much be on this B team, even possibly a guy who contend for the A team if the if the slider and the fastball working off each other still. Last year, throwing 60% sliders. And if he had a little nerve issue we talked about in the bicep last time, was nerve issue just a bicep issue? Whatever. Lost a couple ticks in the fastball. If those ticks come back, he's a monster. And then we're going to kind of have the C team develop between a lot of these guys who we like talking about who have this crazy potential who we don't know what's going on yet. Bryce Montesteoka, Sam Coonrod, Stephen Writhings, your boy. And we're, gonna, we're still going to have Steven Nagosik and Eliezer Hernandez in this bullpen. Those guys, I think, are going to be more of swingmen type to give a couple more innings and blowouts in one way or another. So there's so many different ways this bullpen can go. And it's going to be really, I mean, maybe for me at least, it's going to be really exciting to see how it plays out. Because also, we're still going to have some combination of David Peterson and Tyler McGill in roles that there we don't is. really know yet. And I, I assume that just because pitchers are going to get hurt, like your sixth and seventh pitchers are going to throw clean 100, 120 innings. It happens for every team in baseball. That's why when you got to go through these teams, you look at who's good and who's bad. One of the main reasons last year I knew the Blue Jays were frauds. Like, you just don't have a 6-7th pitcher. You're not good. That's something the Padres actually remedied this week or yesterday with the Michael Waka signing. So where how the Mets use deploy those guys early, especially with Kodai Sanga having injury issues last year and like coming into an entirely basically new new league. Last year, pitching a six-man rotation this year, five. Ferlander and Scherzer and want to keep them healthy the whole time. Carrasco and Quintana have both been steady recently but they're nope they're not spring chickens they're 34 and they're about to be 36 years old so it's gonna be interesting to see how the Mets end up deploying McGill and Peterson how how many innings they get a week how often they're with the major league club and how many times they're starting games opposed to coming in midway through it feels very much like at least in my head that David Peterson might initially get that Trevor Williams role which we saw last year is extremely extremely valuable to this team I mean won a lot of games because of Trevor Williams, even if the box score necessarily wasn't great from his side, like just a lot of really valuable innings can come out of those long guys. McGill, I could also see a world where like, you know, they, they use him in the same scenario. He gets back in the rotation, whatever it is. It's nice that there is this big depth and we're starting to like wonder who could fill in these spots, not because we don't know who it is, but rather because we have so many options, which I think is cool. I have two Trevor Williams questions for you. I think both be fun to answer. First okay. question, what team is Trevor Williams on right now? Washington Nationals, come on. All right, good. Yeah, that was a good one for you. How many innings do you think he threw last year? How many innings did Trevor? Ooh, I'm going to yeah. go with like 78. 90. 90, okay. I mean, so that's that, a big that, 90 three, really valuable innings. 90, 90 innings with 3-2 ERA. That's a guy who, that, see, that role, even last year, I wouldn't even have called him the sixth starter. I would have called him like the seventh or eighth starter kind of, or the swingman. And the Mets, again, this year between... Peterson, McGill, Eliezer Hernandez, and Joey Fuego, Mr. Lucchese. And Lucchese, yeah. Clips going up today. Like, that's going to be filled in pretty unique ways. Like, this, cool that we have this depth. This is incredible. First time, yeah. Like, very, we've done very this, cool. This is going to be the third season we've done this podcast. And we're, we've always been like, we got to get as many pitchers as we can. And they did it. We did it. It's I'm excited <laughs> to watch it play out. He's got goosebumps right now. He's like, I can't wait to watch these pitchers throw. Got to get down to Florida so we can see some bullpens. Got pitchers. Hit a glove pop. But, yeah, so... Shout out Bella for the question. It's going to be very cool to see how this bullpen develops. But that, I think, is probably the first estimation of who the A-team, B-team, C-team is going to be with the wild cards of these swing starters. Okay, this one comes from Pat's Stats. 
He says, expectations for Mark Vientos. I feel like he's getting overlooked. And I don't necessarily think there's an overlooking of Mark Vientos. I think there's just a lot of players that are all kind of in that same position of where he's at right now. And he's younger and he has options. So they can be a little bit more you know, cautious or passive or not as aggressive. But Mark Vientos, we know, has huge power. We saw him take some BP last year and we're like, whoa. Mark Vientos can hit the ball pretty far to right field. Like he's got some crazy pop, and I feel like he's still kind of figuring out what position he's going to be playing, whether that's going to be like learn a little bit of first base, learn a little more third base, learn some of the outfield. It's a good – It's I don't want to say it's a good spot to be in necessarily where he's at, but it's almost like he can just focus on getting better, and eventually the time and playing time and all that's going to come. Yeah, I do think Vientos of all three of these guys probably could still benefit from the most seasoning at AAA, because last year, as productive as he was at AAA, and he was very productive, he was 30% better than league average, he had 24 home runs in 100 games down there, he was still striking out almost 30% of the time, which when you're striking out that often in AAA, that probably means you're going to strike out a little bit more in the major leagues. And then when you get to the 30% strikeout rate range, that becomes a little scary where you can kind of teether and then things start to struggle, you're not putting the ball in play off and it goes bad. But the other thing that makes me think Vientos probably could benefit from another few months down there is that he was just still hitting many, many more ground balls than you would want a, a power hitter to hit. He had 48% ground balls last year in his 100 games in AAA. And to have 48% ground balls and also hit 24 home runs in 100 games, that's, that's pretty unbelievable. So whenever he did co- connect the way he connected, it went out. And I just wish we had more data about these minor leaguers to know about how he did against breaking balls, how he did against fastballs of different velocities, because that's that I feel like is a big missing piece in the way that we understand and like as as fans analyze prospects. So it'll be interesting to see like where – where these ground balls are coming from and then where the swing and miss is coming from, identify those and then get him to the major leagues when we know he's ready to crush. Yeah, no, 100%. Like you said, the seasoning. Let him marinate a little bit. Let him figure it out. And again, there's no need to rush with anything right now with what the team looks like. So we'll see Mark Vientos in Queens, I'm sure, at some point this year, without a doubt. This one comes from Baseball Sam 69 What do you think this or what do you think is the biggest hurdle the Mets will face this season? Rotation, bullpen, offense, or even just expectations affecting them with regards to the big payroll? Uh, that's a good question. I kind of like that one. We, we didn't yell about this last night, too, in the morning, either. <laughs> no, we, de- we definitely no, did we not de- have this exact we, conversation. No, we definitely didn't do that. But, I mean, I, I think we probably have different opinions on this, but I think it's a combination of still just being able to hit, hit drive and runs consistently, lacking that kind of like that second or I guess third technically really defined power hitter. And then also, I guess a big part of this is going to be expectations. This team that won 100 games last year and got bounced in the wild card round of the playoffs. Like there, there is pressure. And you hear the way these guys are talking about their expectations for this season right now. Pete today had the quote where like, hope everybody's ready to watch because we're ready to do something very special. That That's a lot to put on the team's shoulders this early in camp. Like everyone, I am, I like the confidence. I like the fact that we're like, yeah, we're here. We're going to win. We're ready. And projections love the Mets. I like the Mets roster is awesome. But there is that kind of feeling where it's like, what what it when adversity strikes, what's gonna happen? You know? It's fair. Yeah. I, I, I think that the biggest hurdle I think will just be the expectations like like that was said at the end of the question, like you just mentioned. Hundred wooden team, there was a lot of expectations last year based on how they played and it, it obviously didn't end well. And coming into the season, I think the expectations are they should be a team that should be competing to win a World Series, if not winning it. So I think that's you're playing with a little bit of a target on your back. You got a little bit of, you know, pressure, whether it's you feel it or not, I think that's something that everybody on the team knows that they're they're expected to be very good. And if, if they're not playing well, people are going to be upset. Like, that's just kind of what happens when you're a good team. And this is the most competitive division in baseball. Like, if you had to like, list sure. every single team in baseball now, National League East has three of the, at worst, eight best teams in the entire sport. Yeah, and 
and that's in the top. That's in the top. Obviously, like top to bottom, probably not the strongest, most competitive no. division. But at the top, I don't think you can find three teams as competitive as the Mets, Braves, and Phillies right now. No, I don't even. Think, I mean, I, like the American League East could make an argument, but I do think that the, like, the Yankees are a team in that tier, hundred percent. But I think the Phillies, uh, the Rays, and the Blue Jays are certainly a step behind all three of the teams in National League East. And it's not, I don't think it's even a question. So I do think yeah. that is going to be another unique challenge for this team, just because we could again we could be playing incredible baseball. But we could, this division could legitimately, especially now with the schedule being evened out, we're playing each other less. There could be three teams division with 95 games. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, we won 100 games last year and didn't win the division. It's really, it's really, really hard to win the division when there's three teams that actually care and are actively trying to win, which most divisions don't have. Yeah, spending money. So it's a unique thing that happens in the National League East. That doesn't happen most other places. Next question here comes from Shane. Shane says, what role is Narvaez going to play when Alvarez eventually comes up? And I feel like the question, the the English wasn't necessarily the greatest in this one, so I had to rephrase a little bit here. But I feel like the the role that Narvaez is going to play with Alvarez more so, like Alvarez, they clearly want to see that he can catch more. I feel like that's been the the narrative all offseason. He's he's been working. There's no doubt about it, but they want to see him prove it a little bit more. And a guy like Narvaez is a little more seasoned, like we've talked about. He's good defensively. Similar to Tomas Nito, he gives us that lefty bat too. So I actually don't think Alvarez's playing time has anything to do necessarily with Omar Narvaez just because that left-handed bat brings something completely different that most teams don't have, which is a left-handed hitting catcher. I think that we're going to see Narvaez and Tomas Nito seem more similar and I think most Met fans realize. like I don't think Omar Narvaez is going to bring that much power. I think he's going to be timely hitting. He's going to play good defense. He's going to be both of these catchers are here to kind of keep everything in line. Like these, the Mets have more of like an old school catching brigade right now where these guys are probably going to split time nearly 50, 50, maybe, maybe 60, 40, one way, whoever's is hot, whoever's having a good week, depending on matchups. But, and I think that it, it's going to be another situation though, when we talked about last year a lot, where like, where's Alvarez going to find space with McCann, the big contract and Tomas Nito being like the guy. It's going to end up being a way where I think if Alvarez does force his way into a role, it's going to be more like a DH emergency catcher. And we talked about this a few weeks ago where I don't think it's really going to change these guys' roles very much at all. But instead of being a 50-50 split, it'll probably wind up being like a 45-45-10 with Alvarez taking a lot of DH reps. So I do think that we we as fans shouldn't really be trying to look ahead too, too much right now in terms of how this roster could look if certain things happen. Like if Alvarez forces his way in, that's a great thing because now we just potentially got an elite elite DH option and we're building up a, a player who's one of the best prospects in baseball. But if he doesn't, I don't really think it's that big of a deal again to just like play it out triple A, play every single day. Try to hit more breaking pitches, try to hit more pitches high velocity, really figure out like your pitch selection a little bit. Because Alvarez still as great as he was last year, he was striking out a lot. Get better behind the plate, get more consistent, learn just like just just take it slow. Like there's really no rush. Like he is so young still and he's so advanced for his age and he's come on so fast and he is one of the best prospects in baseball, one of the best prospects the Mets have had at their disposal in an incredibly long time. Like I can't even like even the prospects yeah. come up the last couple of years, even like Pete Pete was incredible from the jump, but he didn't have like the prospect magnitude of Francisco Alvarez. This is something that we just take it slowly, be patient, enjoy it when it happens, but I, I don't think we should be really trying to rush into the Francisco Alvarez stardom. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. He's what, 21? He's just turning 21 probably this yeah, year. I'm like that. 22 soon, maybe. Super, super, super young. And especially at the catcher position too. Incredibly, incredibly young. There's not a lot of young catchers that come up and just have this kind of rise like he has. We, we've seen these catcher prospects kind of have weird non-linear developments a lot across baseball. I remember 
a guy who's still trying to find his footing in the league, Luis Camposano, had like a similar rise to Alvarez. I don't want to compare them so much as prospects because Camposano was much more of a contact-oriented guy and they had very different builds. But it's taken him a couple of years to really put his footing down. Everyone remembers Francisco Mejia. He was a super catcher prospect. He still is not a guy who plays every day. And his ceiling, of course, is significantly lower now. We've seen that just based on the results. But it's this isn't a position you can really rush development because there's so much you have to learn. There's so much you have to do. Again, if he forces his way and just kind of becomes mostly a DH, that's incredible. We just we just got like a, a monster hitter hitting hitting tanks in the five, six spot in the lineup every single night. But if that's not something that he's completely forced to hand, there's no shame in just, you know, running it out, getting getting better. Hundred percent. No, hundred percent agree with you. Last question here, we'll take oh, you got something to say here? Also just the last thing I was gonna say about this. Francisco Alvarez has can play the combined hundred twelve games between double and triple A. Yeah, it's that's like it. very few. That's it. That's nothing. Get out there. Keep keep getting better. <laughs> Last question here comes from Jack. He says, who is one under-the-radar player who is poised to have a surprise season? I'm assuming we're going to talk about the Mets. So I, I feel like I have a guess. Mets, yeah. I, have, I have a feeling who your guy is going to be. Jeff Brigham. Jeff Brigham. Brigham Jeff boys. Brigham, man. Brigham, Brigham home. Brigham young. He's, I don't know, I just, I see the stuff. If, if that slider works and that fastball gets a tick back, I think he can literally be one of one of the better relievers in in the entire league. I'm not even missing my words there. Like he can be an upper echelon reliever. He could be a high leverage guy oh, who yeah. absolutely changes like the flow of this team. And I'm I'm excited to see if he's healthy enough to do that. But who who's your guy? Under the radar. Like is it okay to say David Peterson is under the radar? I think in the national he's definitely school, under the, he's under, under the, the radar. radar. He's not even in the projected rotation right now. He's a guy who if he steps up and he continues development that we saw like parts of the last 2 years, he could be a dominating pitcher dominating he had yeah, that stretch David, last year in June July where he was like 30% came out his walk rate one of the best pitchers in the whole league like this is something that could really legitimately happen yeah you're, you stole the words right out of my mouth I just I remember how good he looked and like that it seemed like something clicked at some point and you're like oh my god I think David Peterson has figured it out he's throwing hard that slider is absolutely disgusting it's one of the best sliders in baseball which is a crazy sentence to say because nobody would talk about it outside of Mets fans probably and the people who are really deep in the pitching you know stats but I really do think that David Peterson could be like we we had this video what did we do this video last year before we came on with the Mets about like who an x-factor player would be mm-hmm. we were saying Tyler McGill I think I think David Peterson could be like this guy that just makes an insanely big inf- impact for the team and, and not because of like necessity necessarily just he might just take it because his stuff has been that good and he's had those stretches of just being a really really solid pitcher and can never have too many pit, too much pitching, especially a left-handed pitcher, which would be nice. I think I think there's an outside chance that what Yankee fans saw last year with Clark Schmidt is kind of a little bit. It's a little bit different stage of development. But that could be a way that the Mets kind of creatively use Peterson, where he could come in again. This is something that we struggled with last year. And I don't know if this is going to happen. Because I think they just want him to start in general, but not that this will change his role. But just come in the sixth inning and finish a game. And just look dominating doing it. That happened to the Mets against Clark Schmidt one game last year, where this guy just came yeah. in out of the bullpen, just throwing BBs. And like David Peterson has that in him. Like he can be a legitimate shutdown pitcher in any role that they put him in. He's a guy who projects well. He's a guy who has good stuff. He keeps getting better. Former first round pick, massive dude. Like there's 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 just very high ceiling on David Peterson. I think he is someone who is a little bit more under the radar right now because he's not technically in the five man rotation. Yeah, no, I, I that would be my pick. We're, of course, going pitching on this podcast. Why not? I mean, let's be honest. All the Mets hitters, too. Like, everybody has their expectations already for what they're going to do. I feel like the pitching's where you can really find those gems right now. And the Mets roster itself, like the starting the starting nine and the starting five rotation are, are so old. Like, these guys are just not under the radar. Like, we got to give me, like, they're, they're veteran, they're experienced. We know they're, like, proven commodities besides Kodai Sanga, but there's no way he's under the radar based on what's been going on. Yeah. But 
Like the Mets don't have a hitter in the lineup, less than 29 years old. John is down in Port St. Lucie. He's the field reporter for the Mets Stuff podcast now. How's it, how's it looking down there? I mean, it's nice and sunny in your hotel room, it seems. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 5.53 p.m. right now, so hopefully the sun uh, stays up another 45 minutes or so. Maybe I'll go hit the pool for a little bit. But um, no, it's great. Uh, this week, you know, I spoke to you guys last week. Hopefully my Wi-Fi is working, by the way, a little spotty tonight, but uh, hopefully it, it comes through. Last week was a bit of a ghost town, really, in comparison to what we've seen this week. Uh, you know, the media is here. Today, fans were on the complex, which was awesome. A lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. Nice. Pitchers taking PFPs, coaches all over the place. Buck leading drills, which is great. I mean, it's it's so fascinating to see how hands-on he is, you know, explaining each situation, getting so into the nitty-gritty of, okay, we got runners in this, in this situation. There's this many outs. It's this particular runner. Um, really need to see. So just a lot of obviously optimism. I mean, I think that's probably the case with all 30 clubs right now around the big leagues, but um, yeah, you know, things have really gotten going today. The first official report day for pitchers and catchers position players on the 18th. So uh, good times here. And yes, Grant Hartwig is my pick. Um, I've spoken to a number of people um, on the minor league side and, you know, I asked those questions, Hey, who are some guys that you think can legitimately help this team this season? And I've heard Grant Hartwig over and over and over. And Grant Hartwig was a guy who wasn't even really scouted. I think he was actually found while the Mets front office, some scouts were going to see somebody else. And they were in the Midwest. And obviously, Grant Hartwig pitched for Miami of Ohio. And they saw this guy. Obviously. And he's And he's lights out. And he's lights out. But you know what? Uh, serendipity is great sometimes. So, yeah, Grant Hartwig, not a, not a huge household name right now on the Raider of Mets fans. But um, – Definitely another another one of these many, many, like you guys were talking about, options in the bullpen that can help win games ultimately in Queens this season. Very good. John, and that's, and that's John down the field. <laughs> yeah, that's John's, uh, John's little spring training report for us. I don't, I don't that's think there's it. anything else. You got anything cool to tell us, or that's, that's pretty much it? I Any got one fun more stories, thing to tell you. Sure, Luis Guillorme's dad. Got to spend some time with Mr. Guillorme. Shout Ooh, out Luis nice. Guillorme Sr. He ran, the, uh, he ran the 5K, which they hold um the day before spring training um and he did he did really well and it was so cool to see Luis and Luis senior embrace the finish line um it was just a really really neat experience uh you know just it was a genuine thing genuine emotions over 200 people turned out I'm not going to mention how I did I don't want to you know but um yeah it was it was really awesome to see and you know Luis no nah, I don't don't want to brag I, it's funny so there's a guy that works down here for the St. Lucie Mets <laughs> Um, and I didn't realize where I, where I finished in the race and I've seen him around two or three times since the race and he'll just be mid sentence and stop and be like, that's the guy that beat me. And I just, you know, he's making me feel bad, honestly, but, um, you know, just messed around and, uh, had a, had a good finish. So it was what it was, but, um, yeah, no, Mr. Guillaume has been running for a while now. Uh, he races regularly. It, it's clear where Luis uh, has gotten his you know personality and all that from so really cool to see Mr. Guillaume down there participating with the fans that's a perfect place for us to end this episode of the Mets Sub podcast thank you guys so much for listening thank you for watching whatever you're doing make sure you're following us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter Instagram and TikTok James what do you got before we close out we got two shout outs two people I met in person a couple listeners of the show first off Vin I met you at the card show in New Jersey Vinny and his told me that he's actually a Yankee fan, but he listens to this podcast because he loves the content so much. 
and the Respect. way we way we deliver baseball information. And then after that, also Darwin met him at uh, Akshmoko. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Akshmoko in Greenpoint. Parents took me there for my birthday. Wonderful mirror, wonderful place, and excited to see Darwin in City Field this year. Shout out to Darwin and Vinny. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to you guys. Like I said, follow us on Mets Up Everywhere. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. Thank you guys for watching, listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace out.